Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. vacation, as R.J. Hunter put it, and uh, Calvin's here to pull my teeth out and talk to me about it for a little while to start this show. Right, buddy? Yeah, man. We, have, we, we were not on last week. Oh, really? No, we weren't. And uh, apparently, Rory's got a new living situation, so we may, may not be on next week. So we, we wanted to... Get in, get in some hot Celtic stock now while we still can. Should we just go right to the call lines? Apparently, we already have a call waiting. We do already have a call waiting, and to be in the show, I was one, starting to wonder whether anybody even realized that we switched over a month ago to our own platform here um, at CLNS Radio. We're not matched up with the post-game show call number anymore, so we have our own call number. It's 323 323- Six four two one four eight four is still free, so that's nice. And if I knew who was the sponsor for the post game show last minute, I'd tell you. But I just don't have that together right now. So too bad. Thank you for whoever that was. You're the best. But yeah, Calvin, let's let's go to it, and maybe maybe this guy will uh, spark some interest in me here. He's our number one caller. He's probably called more than anybody else combined on this show. Mad Dog, buddy, what's going on? You all right? I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm I'm down on the Cape. Um, life is good. You're down on the Cape, isn't it? Like 45 degrees there? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It, it, yeah. We got a couple. We got a couple good days. I've gone out. I've, I've gone out biking. I um. I, I um, actually um, went to the province lands the other day, and I and I um, I got stuck at a bus stop in in in, in Provincetown. So um, so yeah, so yeah, uh-huh. it, it, it's been a good, it's been a good couple of weeks. And um, Calvin, it's, but it's been cold. It's been cold and rainy here, and this guy's at the beach. What do you think of that? 
I mean, it was 86 here today, so I I can you know relate to somebody being on a beach. But uh, yeah, I think if you don't go in the water, it's kind of cool on a cold day to just you sort of walk the beach. But uh, what I want to know is, do you do you live on the Cape now? I feel like you only you only call us from the Cape. Are you ever even in Maine anymore? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I I was for 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 a few months, and uh, I'm back down here here working in the in the summer. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, so I'm down. I I just got down here 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 a couple of weeks ago. We had a nice week um, last week. Um, and by the way, Rory, um, I wanted to tell you um, they 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 have boats from from um, Boston to to Provincetown, so that's. So that's your fastest way of getting to the Cape, um, right there. Got it. I'd, I'd rather drive, but but thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, yeah. I, I I just saw that. I just saw that. Um, I just saw that the other day. A day when I was up there, they have Race Point and and they have the Province Lands, which which are the big sand sand dunes. It's a it's a great workout. Um. I bike all over the Cape, but um, but um, yeah. Um, so 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 to answer your the question, next um, <laughs> to answer your question, Kelvin, um, for for most of the year and probably permanently, um, um, Look I'm at here this still. Guy. Loving the Cape, loving the Cape. All right, Matt Dog. Well, more importantly, what what's going on with your thoughts on the Celtics here as they okay, end this well, season and uh, this playoff run? In a in a terrible fashion, they just had poor effort in that in that game six. Well, here's my here's my um here here's my thoughts on the on the Celtics um is that it's not unexpected here. I would have loved to have seen them win around, but I think that the reality need, needs to set in first for 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 some people and some people that I've heard on the radio around Boston and some people I've heard around. Well, uh, the reality needs to set. The reality needs to, to set in here that this is that we are that we are a million miles away from a championship team here. This team is built on a bunch of role players that will that are good enough to get a few key, key wins during the regular season. Obviously, at home and stay at Cleveland, but when it comes to the um, when it comes to the um, um, postseason, this team is not going to do anything. I think that we need to come to the realization of this now and need to come to avenues to um, correct the problem. This this is a this is a um, this is a um, this right here here is is it's not going to work a long a long term with this roster. No matter how long you you keep them together, you may be able to to get a round out of them. At some point, you're never going to be able to make it to to the finals with a roster like this. And I think it's time for um, I I think it's time for for some work for Danny Ainge here to get done. Yeah, I I agree with you, man. This is something I was going to sort of hit Murray with, and I I think every year we watch the regular season, and because the regular season's so long, like we we sort of fall in love with these teams or how they play, or, or we think like these are what teams are, and we sort of forget that playoff basketball is an entirely different beast than regular season basketball, and 
I tend to go along with a theory that, that, that Brad Stevens is such a good coach that he sort of coached this team up in, during, during the regular season. You could see them playing harder than everyone else. Well, in the playoffs, everybody plays hard. You know, I want – you can give them somewhat of a benefit of the doubt because, yes, they didn't have Avery Bradley. But, but on the other hand, like, Avery Bradley's Avery Bradley. Like, I watched the final two games of this series, and, Rory, you can tell me if you disagree with me. And the Celtics got obliterated in those two games. I know they won the final game by 12, but that game was over, you know, oh, yeah. middle of the third quarter. Uh, oh, yeah. The Hawks, I, yeah. I left that thing the early. Hawks, well, were, I left a minute early, but my, my buddy left with, like, eight or nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. He gave up real quick. Yeah, and, they, um, and you know, congrats to them for showing the, their fighting spirit. But, like, they they never actually had a chance to come back in, no. in that game. The, the, the lead was just – it was too big. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and you know what? I, I muted him because the echo's going. There's an echo here if you couldn't tell. Uh, but, you know what, Mad Dog, I'm, I'm not trying to portray the fact that I – think that, that I have lofty expectations. Both Calvin and I picked the Hawks to win this series in seven games. Uh, I just really wanted to see a, a little bit better effort towards the end of the series. And I understand not having Avery Bradley hurts and having Kelly Olenek out there with one arm is not really that effective at all. So they were depleted, but it just, it, it just seemed like for the first time all season, they actually just gave up at times in both of those games and uh, that's just not the way that I wanted them to go out. I didn't expect them to win a round, but Atlanta was clearly the better team. And I think, like you said, Mad Dog, we all knew that coming into this series. And some people just sort of had their had their aspirations a little too high for this team. Well, yeah, and um, I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. Um, I just think, like, uh, uh, like you have some, te- some people in this town. Like, I listen to some of the local – um, sports shows in this town. Um, somebody in the middle of the year picked, picked the Celtics over in Gold, uh, over Golden State in six. You've had um, Mike Gorman come out Joke. with his trade, hit his no trade list, which included like nine guys on the roster. <laughs> um, and Mike Gorman really? is yeah. famous. Well, yeah, well, Calvin, don't don't get the wrong idea here. Hold on, I got to cut you off here for a second, man. Okay. Calvin, don't get the wrong idea. This this was a situation where the the radio guys in the morning asked Mike Gorman who he would want to keep on this uh, from the roster because they were talking about trade speculation. It was a trade deadline type of type of segment on their show, and Mike Gorman phrased it in a way that he made it very clear that if he were making decisions and he's doing talking about players on a personal level level. He included Tyler Zeller on his list. He went all the way down the list. He gave positive attributes about pretty much every player on the roster, including Zeller, saying that he personally likes Tyler Zeller. And they took that soundbite and spun it into Mike Gorman would not trade any of the players on the Celtics. Mm, so he never actually said that. It was it was them spitting it into something bigger than everyone. Well, he 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 did say, "Guy, if if it were up to me, I would keep Tyler Zeller. He's a guy I really I really like." That type of that type right. of thing. But it, it was all in context, and he it's all talking about their roles, and he just liked the makeup of the team. That was more his overall point. But they took the end of his interview, that one little comment about Zeller, and spun it out of proportion, which is why they're on the radio here. They do it very well. Well, Rory, what what I'd like to know is. How do you feel about the makeup of the team? 
do you think that do you think that the first of all do you think that the only difference I know we both picked the Hawks in seven, but in retrospect yeah. after watching the series, do you do you feel like Avery Bradley is this, what's the difference in the series? Do you think the Celtics well, would have won it had Bradley been in it? Hold on, let uh, me let me let here. Mad Dog finish his point here, and then I'll uh, I'll answer okay. that for you. All right, Mad Dog, go ahead, buddy. Okay, okay, well, well, uh, maybe I, um, uh, really, I didn't hear. I'll I'll admit that I didn't hear that in real time. I was actually listening to the Felgor and Mad show, and they and they did a cut exactly um, of that, and and I know that Michael Felgor, I know that those two guys want to sort of um the, the the whole Green Teamers. Stuff, but uh, but overall, this team need, this team needs to make moves. They need to um, they um, need to uh, make moves, and, and they need to make them um, qu- they need to make them um, quickly here. And, um, and and it all starts with the draft. What pick are they going to have? Are they going to have the first pick, second pick? What pick are they going to have here? Um, and and that's going to play a big part. And then. And then the Kevin Durant stuff this summer, and there's many other free agents. They, if they don't get Kevin Durant, they shouldn't just sit up on their hands and knees here. Um, no, there's I agree. many, uh, there's other free, free agents out there. I know that they're they're going to be striving big for him, but uh, but um, guys, um, great show, and it's great to have you back on the air again. And let's go Celtics! All right, buddy. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Up. There he goes, Mad Dog, one of our most loyal listeners, if not the most loyal, besides Liz, of course. Uh, just been been there since day one. He's been there since day one. Like how many episodes have we done now? Two hundred or something. He's been there since day one. He doesn't he doesn't really miss an episode. Sam is a throwback guy out, out there in San Diego, but it, you never know when he's tuning in, you know. So Mad Dog tr- tried and true, right there. Um, all right, Calvin. I've actually thought about this in the past couple of days, and so I'm ready to go with with a, with an entire uh... breakdown. If you really want to get into it. Yeah, let, let me let me let me elaborate a little. I guess to to be fair, because it it, it wasn't just Avery Badley who missed the series. Uh, it, it was Kelly Olynyk who you know wasn't 100 percent in the series. Jay Crowder, you can you can argue had not you know uh, physically returned to form. You can make that argument. Do you do you think that injuries? I guess do you, would you describe that as a primary reason this team didn't win the series, or do you think? That it was more of a lack of talent slash shooting slash slash anything else. I think it's a primary reason they didn't. It's a primary reason they didn't compete throughout the series, and they only did really play well in those two games at home. And I mean, the 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 Celtics never really blew out the Cavs or the the Hawks. Excuse me, I'm thinking of who the Hawks are playing right now. the Celtics never really blew out the Hawks in that series. They had those two great games at home, uh, and they ended up pretty much controlling both of those games. And people would probably argue that throughout the game, there there was very little doubt that the Celtics were going to either have a chance to win or be ahead at the end of those two games. But the Hawks dominated the Celtics a couple of times in that series. And that, to me, is the difference. The talent level was was bigger than we than we thought. Uh, and it's even worse when, when those injuries occur. So it, the discrepancy was, it was when you're just looking at those first four games in the, of the series and it's split down the middle of something, somebody from the outside would say, Oh, look, it's two, two, it's a whole new series. Well, not really because the Hawks kind of dominated in the first two games. I mean, the first game was only one point, but 
we all know that they got out to a huge lead and the Celtics had to claw back and get in, get back into that one in order to, to even have a chance of winning that game. And they didn't, but then on the other hand, the two games in Boston, they played two of their best games all season, really back to back. And they still were, the, the Hawks were keeping up with them for the most part in, in throughout those games. Uh, so to me that, I mean, even though the series is even after the first four games, the Hawks had the edge and it was just a matter of whether the Celtics could sustain enough of a, a push and enough energy to, to play with them for another three games. Turns out, no, they could not. Big picture, then. How would you how would you describe this season? We talked about them, you know, before the season started. Do you do you feel like the season is ultimately a success? Are you happy with you know this particular team and where it ended up, or do you or do you leave the season with a sense of dissatisfaction? Yeah, it's too bad that it ended with those the last two games like that and the injuries and just not having very good performance there to, to lose the series. But overall, I'm sticking to it. I think it was a successful season. Uh, Isaiah Thomas was on the, the team for the whole year. They got a, a chance to work him in for an entire season. They got to get close to 50 wins, so that was that was good for them. They, I think they overachieved a little bit in that regard. And even though they kind of fell flat on their face towards the end of the season, I think overall they took a, a step in the right direction. They got a couple of playoff wins, and they they know what it's like now to to be able to compete in the playoffs so I'm hoping that some of these guys stick around and that the coach learns a lot this this year from what he just went through uh, because that's the biggest thing on this for this organization right now because they don't have that superstar can the coach continue to take mid-level to above average players or I guess I should say mid to, to high level above average players. You know what I'm saying? Like if you wanted to tier them into like 10 groups or something anyway, um, and get, and get the most out of them and get, and get them to play past their potential because that's what he's been doing with a lot of guys this year. So you said that they don't have, have a superstar. So are you, where, where are you at with Isaiah Thomas at this point? I watched the last two games, Look, there were games in that series that Isaiah was a, was a beast. And I gave him credit at times for, for playing, you know, better defensively, but they went at him hard in those final two games, and they really destroyed him on that end. Do, do you believe Isaiah Thomas, if not a superstar, is, is a, a, you know, a player that you can count on consistently going forward, or do you think, you know, maybe, maybe he'll come through in a big moment and maybe he won't? Listen, I think you can count on this kid, but you need to put somebody else around him. Well, I mean, once he, he developed that relationship with Avery Bradley and he get, sort of gained the confidence that Bradley was going to be there to to bail him out, whether it be on a backdoor cut or just hanging out in the corner on, on one of Thomas's drives, he became more comfortable in, in his own game, you know? So when that was gone, I feel like that hurt Thomas more than it hurt anybody else. And he was the sole scorer. He was the only guy that, that could really score off the triple. And he was the only guy that they, they really didn't need to run specific plays for to score. So the defense just started to hone in on him. And then they did have to run some plays for him. It just didn't work out. So 
I, I think Thomas was hurt more by Bradley than anybody else going down. And it's just a matter of, but are you out in the wind right now? You're very distracting. <laughs> it's, it's just a matter of, of whether of whether or not he can gain that confidence back or they can find another type of shooter like that because there was nobody else that he could rely on. You know what I mean? Is, is that better at all? It's just really hot in here. Yes. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so I, I do agree with you about, about confidence. I, I do think that decision-making factors into it as well. I think that, that I think the offense that they put around him matters. I think that Isaiah sort of has to play a point. Uh, you know, everyone was talking about how this team needs more shooting, and I, I agree they need more shooting. But they all, I, I also think that they need more they need more ball handling. They need more dribbling. You know what I mean? They need more they need more like second secondary assists are great, but like dribble penetration assists is something that this team like lacks for. I think Marcus Smart has to develop in that area. Um, how do you feel about his season? I mean, the main focus that people are taking away from Marcus Smart, the soundbite, if you will, the the small clip about what his season was is that he is, has become notorious for flopping. So I think that he's he took some strides in other areas. I think that he's become better a better on the ball defender. I think that despite his confidence increasing in his three-point shot, he hasn't actually taken that large of a step in actually being able to make them. But I think his ball handling has been better and his confidence in being an actual point guard has been great. But it's all tainted, Calvin, by the the flopping. And if refs are going to start watching him for that and if guys around the league are going to start knowing that he's going to be looked at as a flopper, they're going to be able to get away with more against him. And he may think that it helps the team. He may think that uh, he's doing everything he can and that, and that he's getting away with it enough to help. But I think more often than not, he's taking himself out of plays and he's, he's actually hurting the team by doing stuff like that. So that's what I think of Marcus Smart's season. He needs to clean that up. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that was even a problem. I, I, Usually don't think of him as a. I mean, you know what? Because he, yeah, he does flop, but he's like a, he's like a Derek Fisher type flopper, which is like, he's not a soft flopper. He like somehow makes it look, look physical. So I, I've never it's particularly terrible. had an issue. I mean, he got he got fined in the playoffs for it. So, um, not I'm not a lot of guys are getting fined at this point in the season for flopping. You know what I'm saying? So you, it's got to be pretty blatant. Put it, man. It was. All right, so let's turn our attention to, you know, most most of these guys are on the roster for next season, and we'll get into this more as as we go into the off season and what the Celtics should do, you know, um, you know, should they go after Kevin Durant? I mean, obviously, but you know, who who are other targets? What can this team do to get better? Whatever, whatever. But just I want in so a sort of instant reaction from you uh, about the, the 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 two big guys on the roster who. Um, are uh, you know could could be gone could be here again? Jared Tellinger, I had a terrible series against the Hawks. Good. I think uh, I think a lot of that was matchup, but it, it seems like Celtics fans are just ready to let him walk. Bio. After, yeah, are you are Bio. you right there? Bio. See you later. Get out of here, Jared Tellinger. Have another cheeseburger. Go away. 
somewhere else. Go back to Cleveland. Go to Cleveland. Maybe he'll, they'll like him in Ohio again. See ya. Really? Drink your juice. Take a nap. Goodbye. Wait, how long, but how long ago were Celtics fans, you know, saying that, like, Jared Thomas is untradeable? You remember that? That, that was just... <laughs> untradeable, please. Was... Never untradeable. Never untradeable. Always had high potential. Always was an, a question with injury in my mind. And if he could surpass the injury problems, then he would be fine. He got over the back issues, it seemed. And he just, he can't keep the conditioning down. And he just became an anchor in the playoffs, Calvin. The team, they they stopped moving when he was out there. Things just did not look like the, the team that we saw for the past couple of weeks, even when Bradley was in there for that brief period. It, when, with Sollinger on the floor, just things did not look good, especially towards the end of the season. I've had enough of him. I'm one of those guys. Get him out of, out of here at this point. Let him walk away. Let him walk away, huh? Let this young guy just walk away. He's set up to make $4.4 million. I mean, I guess maybe you pick that up. That's a, oh, that's the qualifying offer. So, I don't know. Maybe you give him the qualifying offer and, and see what else happens, right? See what happens next year. But do not extend right. this guy. You know what I'm saying? Please do not extend Jared Selinger. That's, that's the last thing you want to do. Well, since you'll be saving that money on that you may have earmarked for Jared Sellinger, uh, would you like to spend it on Evan Turner? Doing a few post-game shows, Celtics fans seem to think that, that Evan Turner is going to command like 10 to $12 million a year, which yeah. I don't... I have a hard time believing that, but let's let's just live in that in that hypothetical world for a second. Well, you then yeah, I, will, I would like, like to live in that hypothetical world because if you if you consider that Al Horford's going to get a max deal, that which is like what's that going to be twenty five million dollars a year? Then is he though ten to twelve for Evan Turner? Sounds reasonable yeah. for the market, but I would have a hard time just swallowing that number. So. Going in without knowing what the actual market is going to be for the entire league, I would say Evan yeah. Turner for the Celtics should be a mid-level exception type of guy. Give him whatever it is, six million, seven million, whatever it's going to be next year, and give him that for a couple years or or even just a year if he only wants to take it for that long. But I'm not going. I'm not going to ten or twelve right now. I mean, you've you've already got Jay Crowder under contract for for six million. Are you really going to give Evan Turner ten or twelve? And you're when you're saying that Jay Crowder, according to Danny Ainge, is, was untouchable for in a trade for for Jimmy Butler. Like, come on, let's let's be real here. If you're going to give Jay Crowder a five year deal that doesn't surpass eight million, are you really going to pay Evan Turner more than three or four million more than that? Maybe they like him that much, but I just don't see it. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that the Celtics fans were getting a little out of hand with Evan Turner, but again, I think that this team lacks ball. And the problem with Evan Turner is the fact that he just can't shoot from beyond a certain range, right? I mean, that's that's the problem with a lot of dudes on this team. Uh, it's going to be difficult just to find shooting in general in the NBA right now because everyone wants to be, become the Warriors. But particularly with the offense that the Celtics are running, I'm not sure. I, I, I guess where I'm at with him is, like, I'm not sure – the personnel runs. Uh, the personnel like completely matches the strategy. I mean, certain guys do, and certain guys don't. You know, Jared Sellinger is not one of them. 
Amir Johnson, who I, I like a lot, is not someone that necessarily fits in ideally with this offense, but uh, he can. In, you know, I don't know that guys like Kelly Olenek can hold up defensively or you know physically over the course of the NBA season, even though he sort of does fit that role a lot better. Well, Selinger's the only real question mark. I mean, the other guys are under contract, right? So if Zeller's got a qualifying offer, it looks like. Uh, it, here's an interesting thing. Both Amir Johnson and Jonas Jarebko have non-guaranteed salaries next year, which means that um, they can be cut by July 3rd if the Celtics don't want to keep their salary. It's not necessarily a team option, but if they don't cut those guys by July 3rd, uh, which is, what, 10 days after the NBA draft, then those guys are on the team as well. So, to me, Calvin, right I mean... It's free agency, too. Right. It all happens at the NBA draft. If, if the Celtics make some sort of a maneuver at the NBA draft, you might you might be looking at Amir Johnson finding a new place to play next year, depending on who they bring in. Uh, but you you never know what's going to happen with those with those guys. I, I'm just I'm interested to see which way they're going because obviously they're basing this thing around Bradley Thomas Crowder, Marcus Smart, uh, and then who knows maybe they bring back Turner, maybe they bring back uh, or I guess Olenek will be here, and then the young kids Rozier, James Young. Et cetera, those guys for for cheap for for low contracts, but you got to figure they're going to bring in some mid-level guys. If Evan Turner's that mid-level guy, I'm okay with that. So, Larry, if they run that that type of roster back, uh, you know, basically all, all the guys they have now, and you know, maybe they add one more mid-level piece. Uh, maybe they add I don't know who's out there. So I'm just going to I'm going to throw in you know in a, a type of guy. What if they get like a like a Trevor Ariza type or like, are you going to be are you going to feel satisfied with that going into next season? I guess is my question to you. Or are you going to feel like this team is sort of running in place? Uh, it's it's tough, Calvin, because I think that they're still going to be exciting, and I think that they can still take another small step forward if that's the case. And it, it, while it will be disappointing to not get a bigger name than Isaiah Thomas, or even a name as big as Isaiah Thomas in the off season. Um, then it, it would it would still be fun, I think. And I was thinking about this the other day. Honestly, there are there are players out there that you can go after. Nicholas Batum's a free agent. Bradley Beal's restricted. Um, guys like Harrison Barnes are restricted. Ryan Anderson is available if you like a guy like that. I like a, a kid like Terrence Jones. Take a chance on him, maybe. He's a restricted free agent with the Rockets. There are a lot of names out there that I think would improve the roster and but not necessarily make the Celtics a contender in the East yet. But they could still maybe be a little bit better, maybe get that home court series and give themselves a better chance to win a first-round a first round series. And honestly, at this point, and I've said this all along, I'd rather the team be good and be competitive for long periods of time than take the Philadelphia route 
where you're terrible for a while and then potentially you have an Allen Iverson that comes along and you're good for a couple of years and then potentially in four or five years Philadelphia will be good again who knows but I'd rather have the, the Celtics plan where they are going along at a steady clip and slowly improving step by step uh, while also being competitive and an exciting team to watch and maybe that's just the fan in me and being being greedy and wanting to take in good games when I when I go to the, the garden uh, but that's that's just how it is I guess yeah I, I definitely am with you there and I, I definitely also don't I don't believe in the philosophy that like it's better to be terrible or, or great and bad to be in the middle because it's it's not it's not possible to go from terrible right to great, you know, and barring some, like, a couple of fluky instances in, in NBA history. Uh, but for the most part, you go from terrible to, to okay, and then you, like, discover whether or not, you know, your players are legit. And then you either you either become terrible again or you get better. Like, the, the Warriors were the eight seed, you know, eight to ten in the West, for like five years before they became what they are, and I think that's that's what that's what teams do. Now, obviously, the Celtics are missing that piece that's going to take them there, but they've they've opened up a myriad of, of avenues by which they can they can get there. We'll we'll talk more about specific free agents and that that kind of stuff for them as as you know the off season continues. Uh, we have plenty of time here. I just wanted to sort of do a post mortem on the season. Yeah, well, how's that for a postmortem? I just listed off a few names of players that I want them to target, and uh, yep. I don't know. You are you ready to move on? You're just like forget. I'm ready to season. move on. I'm ready to go. Let's yeah. get the off season going. When when Let's, can we start yeah. talking to Kevin Durant? When can Danny Ainge call him? Um, yeah, well, no, well, you know, probably the next time we talk, um, depending on your schedule, we we'll be right around the NBA draft lottery, so we'll have an idea of what. Uh, position the Celtics are drafting in at that point, and then we can move on from there. That's true. And I'm actually, I have a nice website that shows all the free agents for 2016 and sorts them by uh, what their cap hit was last last year, this this current year. So, if you ever want to see that, let me know. Definitely. Yeah, you can show it to me. Oh. Alright. Moving on? Yeah, we can move on. Kobe Bryant was the number one free agent from from this past year in salary, twenty five million. Just to let you know. Um, you guys should I'm make surprised you didn't want to talk about your Lakers at all on this show tonight, but oh, you know what? Way. I totally forgot. I did want to talk about my Lakers, but I completely oh. forgot. Well, why don't you then? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for reminding me. Right, the Lakers hired Luke Walton. I don't know if you heard. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. They're uh, their own Luke Walton, fanboy Luke Walton. Yeah, their own Luke Walton. Um, yeah, I'm curious to. I'm curious what you think of this move. I'll tell you what I think in a second. But I'm, I'm curious where you're at with it. Well, is is Luke Walton ready to be his own man, or was he really just a puppet for Golden State or for Steve Kerr in Golden State? That's that's what I'm wondering because I feel like. Even Walton will tell you that the uh, other assistants and Steve Kerr were pretty much in his ear at all times. And I don't know if he really had full control over those games. 
maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But um, I, I just I don't. Is he ready to, to take a horrible roster and try and do something with it? I don't know. I, I mean, I guess he he's he feels like he is, or he wouldn't have taken the job, right? Yeah, I don't I don't love the move, and it has it has nothing to do with Luke Walton. Well, it has it has some things to do with Luke Walton. But yeah, you're, sorry about that. Hold on. So you're 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 on point with it somewhat, which is. Uh, I haven't. First of all, I have no idea whether or not Luke Walton is a good coach. He, I don't know what like, exactly. He, yeah, he was there. I, do, do I think that Steve Kerr was like calling him during timeouts and telling him what plays to run? <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure Luke Walton himself uh, had a hand in, you know, the Warriors getting off to a 24-0 start. But that does again. First of all, I don't I don't believe, unlike a lot of people, that coaching comes down like specifically to just results. You know what I mean? To me, a good coach is like getting your talent to overperform. Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr was the one who ran training camp. He was the one who set up that offense. Uh, Luke Walton sort of just grabbed the train and you know it was already on the tracks and he just conducted it. Good for him. But I'm I have no idea whether or not that limited stretch of what it means to be a coach will make him a good coach. But to his credit, by all accounts, uh, like the, the Warriors organization, everyone in the Warriors organization says that he's, you know, great to get along with, great working with young players. And that's something that, you know, coming off this Byron Scott situation, uh, I think the Lakers need. But the reason why I'm, I'm ambivalent leaning towards dislike on this issue it's because the Lakers already ha- they already have a nepotism problem right now uh, with their with their organization and like the, the Byron Scott hire itself was it, it was part of a move to like you know we hired Mike D'Antoni now let's hire a Laker you know let's 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 not find the yeah best that's kind of what we, I think I think we kind of got into that uh, uh, me and my friends over sort of emails and I was sort of telling them. I think that Byron Scott was just uh, what kind of a Laker can we get to, to coach the team? Well, Fisher's uh, he's not available right now. Uh, let's see, so and so's not ready yet. Uh, Brian Shaw, we already tried that type of thing. Like, who's left? Right, and there's a little bit of. Look, I'm I'm concerned right now. I'm worried about the the fact that that Jim Bus is going to leave. Only to be replaced by Phil Jackson. Like, I'm concerned about that. And Luke Walton played for Phil Jackson, tried to hire him on with the Knicks, and uh, Luke uh, Luke Walton ended up signing with the Lakers. So Luke Walton now with the Lakers. Like, if we get rid of uh, Jim Buss after next season, which you know is it's quite possible. I don't look. I don't want the door to then be open for Bill Jackson to come back. And that's sort of what this feels like. And, and moreover, it just feels like, look, there, there were guys who were more qualified. You know, say what you want about Blatt, but uh, Torrey Messina, the uh, the Spurs assistant head coach, is supposed to be a, a genius of, you know, the play calling and, and sort of uh, NBA offense. So, and he he coached like for years internationally. I yes, Luke Walton is young. You know, maybe he'll be appealing to free agents. Maybe the Lakers get a great free agent out of it. So that 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 could be a positive. But 
I just have one have no idea if he's a good coach, and two, it just feels like they're doing the exact same thing they do with uh, Byron and sort of doing this reactionary like, yeah, let's get this young, fun Laker as head coach, even though like what, the Lakers aren't going to run the Warriors' offense anyway. So I don't. Yeah. Well, I don't what's know the other solution though? So here, here's here's what the devil's advocate would say. Well, you don't like Luke Walton. Who who are the other options here? I told you, uh, Atori Musina. I would have, I would have been fine with Blatt. I oh, that's what, you're, that's what you're saying. Okay, you were saying you want, you want yeah. both of those guys. Yeah, I, I would have been fine with either of those two guys. You can, you can crap on Blatt if you want. But, but so hold on, Blatt what's the difference? What, what is the difference between Walton and Blatt, though? They, they, neither one of them really has that much NBA coaching experience. And I know you mentioned Blatt's overseas experience, but I don't think that really lines up with the NBA. That's, it's not exactly the same thing. Uh, and I don't know. I, I just, I, I understand why they would want to do the, the whole young coach, young team aspect. That makes sense to me. The Celtics kind of just did it themselves. Yeah, but the, the, again, the difference between the Lou, you can, you can uh, poo-poo his, his international experience if you want. He won several titles in in Israel, with an, with an offense, with a, with a game plan that was that was you know renowned for being creative and interesting. The same thing with the, the Spurs assistant coach, Luke Walton doesn't have that reputation. Even though yes, he was he was briefly the coach of the Warriors. I don't know that Luke Walton himself is an innovator of anything in particular. You know what I mean? Like, is there yeah, you're probably Walton right. And that's, like, what I, that's and that's what yeah. I was trying to say to start out. Like, is is it really Luke Walton for the first 50 games of the season, or was it the assistants and Steve Kerr in his ear? And I would tend to believe it was the the latter. I just yeah, I don't know. I don't know how creative he is. I don't know. Look, this might be. A, uh, I'm not like totally negative on this hire the way I was when the Lakers hired Byron Scott because Luke Walton to me is is just an unknown quantity, and I don't think like I don't like the hire because I don't think that you should take that much of a risk on the head coach of the Lakers when you know, Luke Walton again like I don't know what his, what his plan is going to look like I don't know if he's like is an, uh, considered an offensive or a defensive genius I don't know if, if Phil Jackson then comes back will, will Luke Walton then uh, embrace some form of the triangle the offense that he played under in, the, in, mm-hmm. in his NBA career an offense which is woefully outdated I don't know. I don't know whether or not that's going to happen. You know, like why? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't like this move in in any respect. It just makes me nervous. But who knows? It could it could turn out spectacularly. I guess I'm I'm trying to cover my bases here in, in case Luke Walton <laughs> turns out to be a great coach. But I, I do like the fact that he's young. I I do like the fact that he gets along with young players because you know. The Lakers are full of young players, so you probably don't want a crotchety old man coach like Byron Scott uh, trying to deal with Tom guys like Yeah, yeah, even Tom Thibodeau. Well, Thibodeau's other problem was that he wanted to be GM, which was never going to happen with the Lakers. Right, that's true. All right, so you've got you've got your uh, your you've got your Laker talk out of the way, then. I did. I did. I feel good. Thank All you. Right. Now on. we're good to go. I don't need, we'll need to care about the Lakers. All right, so we're good. Um, back on track. Luke Walton discussion out of the way. Where are we? 
Oh, yes. The games that are actually still happening, the teams that are actually playing right now, uh, the Spurs and the Thunder, two Western Conference title contenders there, Calvin, in a dogfight. They split the first two games of their series, although Spurs fans are arguing that uh, they should have had more of a chance to win that game than in game two last night uh, than they actually did. Isn't that right? It is right. We'll get, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Can I can I start off, Ray, by by just just marveling at the 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 low post greatness that is Lamarcus Aldridge? It's so refreshing to have a guy with like with all the constant talk about how the, you know the being a, a low post player or being a power player like makes you irrelevant in today's NBA. You just it's so refreshing, and I don't like the Spurs, and I want the Spurs to lose this series. Let's be clear on that. I am rooting so hard for the Thunder to win this series, but it's just so refreshing to see Marcus Aldridge like stand on the block, you know, with the guy behind him and no movement around. He's just posting up, uh, you know. 15 feet on the on the outside of the free throw line, just waiting for that ball. And the second he gets the ball on that block, he's going to score. He put he put up what, what he put up 38 points. He was you know 11 out of 13 or whatever he was in those two games. I know I'm just making this up off the top of my head, but he was so good. I think maybe 11 of 13 was the first half. He was so good, and I'm so glad to like just see a dominant post force in action who who who's not, you know, being told by stat nerds that he's now become an irrelevant player because the Spurs uh are, you know, one of the two best teams in basketball. Well, I'm trying to find the numbers exactly and I'm getting his six games here. This is not not what I was looking for. Okay, here we go. Um 41 points on 15 of 21 in game two, 38 points on uh, 18 of 23 shooting in game one. And, listen to that. Listen to yourself. Dude, that, that is a, double his, product, his attempts and triple his makes from the last series that they swept Memphis in. It's almost as if he wasn't even trying or something or, or – the Spurs in general were just not – they were just going through the motions against Memphis, and now they've stepped it up quite a bit because the touches for Aldridge in this in this uh, series so far in the first two games have just been unreal. Wait, Aldridge is shooting 63% for the playoffs. Really? Yeah, and, and it's like 75% in the first two games yeah. of the series right now. It's insane. Yeah, that's – by the way, he's being he's being one on one guarded by Serge Ibaka. Let's not pretend that it's like Hannes Cantor that he's just scoring over all the time. He's getting he's getting Serge Ibaka on him for the most part. He's getting a little bit of Stephen Adams, another excellent defender, and he's just destroying them because he knows old school how to make a shot with a guy in his face. And I just wanted to give credit to a beast among men. I think we forget because his numbers were kind of down this year. You know what I mean? We in, in the in I think we also forget well, yeah, because of the system. The system, but also the, the rise of Kawhi. You know, this year was like the year that Kawhi was, you know, third or fourth in MVP voting, depending on how you want to look at it. Sure. Um, or even theoretically second, I guess. 
I think he lost in the praise of Kawhi and and the the, the lowering of his numbers. The simple fact that Lamarcus Aldridge is is you know one of the very best players in basketball, one of the, the dozen or so best players. So I, I just wanted to give him his props in this in this moment because. And I mean that's that that must be painful for you because the Spurs have him locked up for the next two full years and with a. Uh, player option after that so uh your your arch rivals there calvin are, are going to have one of the top players in the league for years to come a guy that you apparently like quite a bit maybe you're gonna have to be a spurs fan and he spurned he spurned my team to get there yeah man forget that I, hey i'll never forget that he's a good man in my eyes yeah, well, you know, I don't know about the stupid Spurs. They lost. They're losers. They lost, the, but it, it's, it, 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 they lost because of a, of a bigger question and a bigger issue with the NBA that's been going on for years, and that is the referees, the, official, the officiating, Calvin, the officials. They blew, a, they blew a call. They admitted to not seeing some things in this game at the end, and uh, Spurs fans are clamoring about it because they, they feel like their, their team was screwed out of an actual possession at the end of this game. Oh, really? Is, is, is that what they, uh, is, is that what they, that's how they feel? That's how they feel? Really? Really, really? Because, because the NBA came out. Well, first of all, first of all, Spurs fans, shut up. That's what I want. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear you crying, all right, about, about referee. I hate uh... look. Look, I this is like the Munger syndrome where like where like everyone wants to just just pay attention to what happened in one isolated portion of the game because you know that isolation isolated portion has the exact same impact that that every other portion of the game had. You know what I mean? Like, how do I know Russell Westbrook wasn't fouled six times that were not called in in, in comparison to this one uh, supposed no call? I don't know if you, mm-hmm. you watch this game. You said you you've been busy lately. I wish I should have pulled up the audio. But really, the main reason this isn't even an issue right now is Chris Chris Weber. I don't know if you've ever heard him call a game or not. Yeah, was it was so Weber, man. He was going crazy. Yeah, that's an offensive foul. That's an offensive foul. Here's here's the thing, Ray. Okay. Yes, yes, it was an offensive foul. However, uh, the, the Spurs stole the ball on that possession immediately right. anyway. And so, Weber tried to make the argument that, well, no, then they would have had time to set, they would have had time to set up and draw up a play. Yeah, you know what? You know who else would have had time to set up and draw up a play in that scenario? The, the Oklahoma City Thunder. The defense would have had the time to get set. You know, I, I, people don't realize this, but in, uh, the offense has the advantage in chaos. Patty Mills had an open three that he just airballed. So yep. let's let's. Let's remember that, first of all, before we start crying about how it was a terrible call. Look, the, the, the game still continued. They still had an open look with a chance to win the game. And, they're in, they're, they have to go back. And because Weber screamed like like a maniac, they have, they have to go back to this call. And, yes, it was a weird play, an extremely weird play. But you know what would have happened if they had called the foul? Yeah, the, the Spurs would have just gotten the ball anyway. When they had the ball, the, the defender would have had time to set up and they would have had to take mm-hmm. a more difficult shot. You had, you had a look and you had a, yeah, you had a rebound, by the way. And then you, then, you know, he, uh, 
he dropped the ball or whatever, and then it was a scramble, and they, and they ran out of time. But that was it. So by the way, by the way, Spurs fans, like if, if Lamarcus Aldridge doesn't get fouled on his three-point attempt and, uh, ten seconds earlier, you would have lost the game anyway. You were down by four with thirteen seconds left, so you were lucky to even be in that situation. Now you made your own luck there. That's fine, but like. Let's not pretend. Let's not pretend the Spurs were screwed. Oh, I feel so bad for the Spurs. Don't feel bad for the Spurs. Moreover, wow, Calvin, Calvin yeah. with multiple rants on the show tonight. That's I right. think I'm going to leave right. that one uh, like just right there. I'm going to leave it right there. We're done with that segment. No, no. The bigger question has not been answered yet. We're just done with the rants yeah. portion of the segment. The bigger question <laughs> is: Should the referees? and the NBA be coming out and be transparent as they have been since Adam Silver took over from David Stern about referee blown calls and things that they missed, things that were called the wrong way. Uh, I think it's great. I like it, Calvin. I think that I want to hear more of this and I want to hear more Kenny Maurer saying that he screwed up. But of course it, it leads to the, inevitable conspiracy theory that they're just doing this so that they can continue to screw up and just sweep it under the rug. Uh, but overall, I like the, the at least apparent accountability that they're trying to portray here. And just the fact that uh, they're trying to get the refs to start making better calls and they're, they're putting, they're shedding light on the things that they've screwed up and they're admitting to it, I think is a step in the right direction. We'll have to wait and see where it goes from here, but I like it. How about you? Uh, well, forever, right? Well, why, why don't we just uh, why don't we just look into what the NBA said uh, about the about the way this game ended? Uh, apparently, according to the NBA, right, uh, the referees incorrectly neglected to call a de- delay of game on Ginobili for crossing over the line, which I which. I didn't even hear anyone uh, mention. I like Chris Webber screaming about uh, Deion Waiters pushing him or elbowing him, but like no mention of the fact that, that Ginobili's like putting his face over the line. So the, the NBA noticed that, right? Didn't call it a delay of game on him for that. Didn't call a foul on Waiters for shoving him. Didn't call a foul on Patty Mills for grabbing Stephen Adams on that play. A foul on Kawhi Leonard, really, for grabbing Russell Westbrook on that play. Or a foul on Serge Ibaka for grabbing LaMarcus Aldridge. Does that, does, that, does that clarify that situation for you at all? Do you feel like you now know the, you, 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 you know who would have won the game had the referees not messed up? Does that, does that make you feel better? I'm... I don't. I don't. I thought the rant portion was over. No, it's not over. It's, it's, it's not over at all. Here's, here's why I don't like it. Okay, it makes it makes somewhat more sense in football to me. But the nature of refereeing in the NBA, in particular, or even even in baseball, because baseball has these things called lines. You know, foul. Something's either a foul or it's not. Somebody's either safe or he's not. But. A foul is such a subjective notion, and we've for years, had, had, and, and everyone in the NBA plays under this same notion that the referees swallow their whistles at the end of games. It's just a, a biological fact of the NBA. Yes, they, they missed four fouls at the end of that game. There, you know why? Because because the NBA doesn't want to call a foul in that situation. Everybody knows it, and everybody plays to those rules. So if they come out, they come out after the fact and say, "Hey, we should have called these four fouls in this situation." You're just making the referees look bad when I'm sure a lot of those were conscious decisions to not let 
the game be decided by a whistle. We don't want. Do you, as a fan, do you want? Do you want every little ticky tack thing at the end of every game to be called? Is, is that what you want basketball to become, Murray? Is that, because because you're legislating toward that notion by saying yes, the, the NBA should come out and, and, and note every time every time they think something should have been called. Yeah, I mean, if it if it's egregious enough that they think they need to make a. Uh, 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 a comment about it, then yeah. I mean, there have been times over the course of the season where they've confirmed that referees' calls are correct, or they've explained that uh, the, the, the whole contact rule that they're talking about, as far as like going straight up and down, and how they try to enforce that, uh, and de-emphasize the fact that I mean that shouldn't be a foul if you're straight up and down, even if you are up in the air, you're allowed to jump now and. and still defend you know so I think they're they're doing it and it works in both ways and it's just a matter of getting the referees to clean up their act and over the over time they won't have to disclose all those things anymore because the game will be a little bit cleaner as far as uh the officiating is concerned I want them to get it right Calvin I mean I I just if there's something that that really affects the the course of a game and it's a, it, it, it's an egregious foul that the league feels should have been called on the floor, then I, I want them to get it right and more power to them for putting it out there. Really, they're never going to get it right. You're living, in a, you're living in a pipe dream. They're not going to get it right. They're going to get something wrong. Then, of course they're going to get things wrong, and that's human error. I still want them to work towards getting it right. So, I mean, sure, the NBA maybe doesn't need to nitpick and Get, throw every little foul out there for uh, as far as the grabs are concerned, but with as far as Ginobili and the delay of game and then waiters with the offensive foul, those ones seemed obvious, and that's the type of stuff that I think should be called the grab on Aldridge or the Patty Mills gr- grabbing on, on people. That happens in the course of a game. You see that all the time, and that's the type of stuff that if I were the NBA, I'd draw the line there and leave that out of my little memo. But in general, I like the idea of, of the accountability and, and putting the refs in the spotlight. Okay, so then, so then going back to my earlier thing briefly about the Spurs. So if, let's, just, let's just rewind time, right, and, and fix history. And uh, then uh, the first thing that happened, right, was a, de- was a delay of game on Ginobili for, for crossing the line, right? That's, that's one free throw for the Thunder. Uh, they didn't miss it. Then they get another inbounds. What happens from there? Nobody knows, right? right. Nobody knows. Yeah. So and that was Chris Webber's point as far as the foul was concerned. And that's what he saw in real time. He didn't think about the Ginobili thing. I'm sure that if he realized Ginobili had committed the delay a game at the, at the time of his commentary, that he wouldn't have been going crazy for the offensive foul. It's just a matter of what right. he saw first. So I'm not going to get on Chris Webber for, for trying to make things seem like like the offensive foul should have been called. If that's what he saw, then that, that's what he saw. In reality, it should have been a delay a game. And in real time, if he had known that, he's probably not going, clamoring for the offensive foul. Yeah, that's that's fine. I'm just saying this. Look, this goes to you like all pain. You can say maybe the league muddied it up inten- intentionally and made it difficult to interpret. But I'm, what, what I'm saying is, is just looking at this play, all these things. Look, but to me, it's like it's like the opposite of like the justification for like see see the NBA admitted they messed up here 
it's like they mess up things. They mess up so many things that those things become redundant. It's like it's, it's a it's a paradox at some point. Then I don't need you. You you do need to know about if if you need to know about one of these things, really. If the NBA has to come out and say yes, that was an offensive foul, then yeah, I, I do want the forty-five. I don't even want the, the things that happen in the thirteen seconds. Give me give me two hundred missed calls throughout the game, because because it just shows that like the result of the game. If you if you take away referee error out of it, like there's no way of knowing what that's going to be. And that's that's the point that I'm making to you. It's 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 ultimately irrelevant, especially if you're just trying to isolate one thing. When even on that one play, the NBA found five things that could have been called in a different manner. Well, that's fine, and I don't want to slow the game down. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that they should be still calling every little thing, but I just I think in crunch time on plays that are obvious and plays that matter plays that they can see quickly on a replay or something that uh, they should have caught in real time. Maybe if they had an additional official or something, it should be called. So every game, I guess every we're going to disagree. What's that? No, nobody plays defense. I said every game should look like an all-star game. Nobody plays defense because they're going to call us off. No, I don't think that's – I think you're missing the point because you can play good defense without fouling. So um, let's move on because we're almost done. Okay. Uh, what's going on here? I really do want to continue this. I don't know why, well, but – Wait, 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 I, wait. wait. Yeah, you know how much I hate arguing about officiating. It's just – I know, I know. But let's just say that the Celtics in, in 2009 – like, after every game, the NBA came out and, like, they were like, Kevin Garnett got away with, with nine moving screens. Would you be like, great great job, NBA, for, for calling him out on those? Or would you be like, yeah, that's what Kevin Garnett does. He's smart. He gets away with moving screens. You'd probably say the latter, right? Um, I mean, I guess it depends on how many I would have noticed myself. And then going back, I mean, honestly, Calvin – Obviously, guys are going to get away with things, and this goes back to the Marcus Smart point from earlier, too. He tries to get yeah. away with a lot of things, or he thinks that he gets away with a lot of things, and the referees are starting to catch on to it, and the NBA is starting to catch on to it. In this modern era, with all these different cameras and all the different angles and eyes on everything, uh, it's just it's, it seems inevitable to me that they're going to at least review this stuff with, with a fine-tooth comb, you know? And it's it's... I think it's a, it's a good thing because you just need to embrace it and not sort of be stuck in the past. Uh, but so Marcus Smart's going to get called out for flopping. He should stop flopping. If the NBA is going to call out their referees for missing calls that they think should have been called, then the referees should start making those calls. That's it. Okay. I'll I'll let it I'll let it go. At this point, I'll leave it at that. All right. Um, I'm running out of steam anyway. So what's going on with Chris Bosh? He, he, he's talking about wanting to play in this series. And, I mean, of course, if you are unaware of why he's not playing, he had a, a blood clot again. He's got had multiple blood clots over the past couple of years, and uh, he's been sidelined for it before. And now he, he says he wants to play again. Is that is that right? Yes. So – 
the thing about Chris Bosch's uh, blood props is they, they were originally found in his calf, okay? This season they were found in his leg. I'm sorry, in his lung. Calf, leg, lung, yeah. So that can cause an embolism. Obviously, you can't play basketball with a blood clot in your lung. Um, he's been on blood thinners, and that sort of removed the clot. So he's currently clot free. But because he's already had a recurrence uh, of the blood clot issue, if if he has a, a blood clot, you know, while he's playing on the on the court, he, obviously he's not going to know at you know any given time. It could be seriously, seriously dangerous for him. He's on he's on a, a blood thinner again, like I said, which also makes obviously it makes his blood thin. So if he gets cut during a game, he could you know bleed out. It, it, it basically gives him hemophilia. Um, there's a lot of reasons why it's essentially dangerous for Chris Bosh to play basketball. But Chris Bosh himself feels great. He feels fine. He's totally healthy. He's ready to go. I can see why he feels frustration. He sees his teammates out there on the court. I mean, at this point, he's probably the Heat's best player, right? Um, or, you know, first or second best player. You can make an argument that with Chris Bosh, the Heat, you know, would make for an interesting matchup against Cavaliers. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. But I, I find it interesting because it's like it's a role reversal of the usual situation, where like the team is is like fudging medical reports and like giving a guy a shot in the knee to get him back into a game. The Heat seem to be saying no, we're not going to let you play, even though it would technically help them to have Chris Bosh play. And Chris Bosh is dying to play, even though like it might not be responsible. I guess I'm, I'm curious, what do, you, what do you do in this situation? If he says he feels fine and he wants to play, do you think that he should be responsible for himself and if, if he is healthy? Or do you think the team is, is being responsible by, by saying, no, you can't play? And if they, if they say that, does that mean like Chris Bosh's career just has to be over? Because you know the chance he has to, that the blood clot comes back will always exist, right? Um, yeah, this is a tough choice because ultimately I think the players are responsible for themselves. And I, and I think we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago where players get hurt and they sort of decide themselves to, to come back on the court. And if the trainers say they're, they're okay, then it's up, it's up to them. And if they, the, the whole thing with Steph Curry, if he, felt like he was ready to come back, uh, then maybe it's on him because the trainers can't really tell what his body feels like. Uh, and while his knee injury was a, was a slip and fall and not necessarily something that stems from the ankle injury, I always tend to think that when somebody gets hurt in one part of their body, then they're more prone to an injury in another if they don't let it heal uh, enough before going back out there. So in regards to that... Maybe Curry came back a little too soon, but ultimately, I think guys should be responsible for themselves. And if they think that they're good enough to get back out on the court, and the doctor clears them, then it's it's not it's not necessarily. I don't think the team should be able to hold them out, unless the team has a second opinion from a doctor that says that he that he shouldn't be playing. Then 
I don't think they, they can hold him off the court. But you know what? Ultimately, that, I don't know where that comes comes down to because Danny Ainge always says that Brad Stevens is the one that decides who goes on to the court. You know, and if if and Brad Stevens always says, well, if the players are healthy, I'm going to play them. So does that come down to Eric Spolstra uh, about whether he wants to play Chris Bosh or not? Who who takes the fall for that if Chris Bosh has to has to retire because of this? I don't know. It's a it's a touchy subject. It is, and it'll be really interesting to see what what they do here. I guess as you know, it, it maybe just comes down to selfishness for me. But as like a fan of basketball, I want to see Chris Bosh come back and at least get you know give it a shot. And I feel like physically, especially if like physically he's okay. Um, I don't know. I guess it, it is a risk, but I, for me, ultimately, I come down to like if, if this is what he decides he wants to do with his life, like, and and he's certainly you know productive enough for the team to be able to use him. Like I, I guess like I'm sort well, of on the side of. So how do you yeah, how do you go about this if you're the team? Then is there a way that you can get him tested at halftime, or to see if he has blood clots? You know what I'm saying? Like it would it creep up that quickly. I don't know how this works. Like. Does the test take a while? Does do the results take a while to come back? Would they be able to monitor that stuff in game, where he can play with no re- repercussions? I would imagine the te- technology is not there right now, or they would be doing it. Uh, but maybe going forward, that's something they have to look into. Yeah, I would imagine that. No, I would imagine that he would need testing done to for that to be discovered. Um, so I, I don't think it's something you can just have a trainer look at. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. So I, I think that he would, in, in almost any circumstance, if he, if another uh, blood clot appeared, that he would play with it for some period of time before, uh, yeah, before, you know, before they sat him down. I mean, the, the last two blood clots he had, he played with for uh, a while before they discovered them, and so. I guess that's that's where they're at. But he says he uh, says that yeah he says that he's not feeling life threatened or or in any physical danger. And I guess you know again cruelty aside, you don't want to see anything bad happen to to Chris Bosh on the court. But if if he wants to play and and is willing to, uh, you know, maybe I'm sure there's something that could be worked out with insurance and with sort of. Absolving the Heat from responsibility in that respect, I think from the Heat's perspective, they'd love to have him back. I, I don't necessarily think it's it's complete altruism. I think like if something bad did have, happen to happen to Chris Bosh, you know, the team, uh, it would be a, a PR, you know, catastrophe. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, <laughs> It, I, I it's, guess tough, it's tough to hold a man. I mean, I guess they're paying him, so it's not like they're they're taking away his money or anything like that. But if he if this is what he wants to do, I mean, I don't know. You're like you said earlier, they're basically forcing him to retire at this point if they don't want him to to play because of this. I, I guess that's sort of my question too. Is is are they like? I mean, I. I would if, if I were to ask you right now, like, do you think Chris Bosh will be playing with the Miami Heat next season? What, what would your answer be? I, I kind of my feeling, my sense would be yes, 
but then I think like, okay, well, what what difference does like another off season make in this particular scenario? If he's fi- if he's fine well, now. Well, I mean, in the the last time the last time they they let him play, they let him come back, and then they had to they he went for more testing, et cetera, and they found it again, and then they shut him down. Uh, so, I mean, what is the difference? between this time and last time besides that it happened again if they right. if they trusted that it wouldn't happen again last time i don't know it, it just i i don't know how recurring how badly this, this type of thing recurs once it happens once does it constantly happen over over time it'll have it definitely happen again or is it the type of situation that may happen once or twice in a lifetime and that's it i don't know yeah, I don't, I don't know enough about the medical uh, part of it either to know, but I, I, I think that um, there's, it's certainly possible that it can come back again, especially because they've occurred once. And I, I think with that, you just have to sort of weigh, you know, weigh the the odds that it's going to come back um, against how much you know you really want to go forward with it. And I, I think Bosch has clearly made up his mind. From the team's perspective, it's a much more difficult decision. Well, we'll see how uh, how the Heat fare in this playoff series against Cleveland. And um, no, they're not playing Cleveland against Indiana, right? Uh, they are playing Toronto. Toronto, Jesus. Losing my mind, yep. man. We should have ended the show five minutes ago. Um, <clears throat> Indiana, of course. Indiana. Dummy. Uh, Toronto, of course. Miami, Toronto, Cleveland, and the Hawks. Those jerks. Um, one more topic, or do you want to get out of here? This, uh, the NFL draft, that, that's a thing that happened, right? There's a, there's a big debate around here about whether the Patriots had a good draft or not. Frankly, I don't care uh, because the only yeah. thing that ever comes out of the NFL draft for me, Calvin, is stories of kids that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing and making fools out of themselves and just some of the, the wild situations that you hear about with some of these college kids. And uh, the latest one is, is quite a, a, a crazy story. So why don't you take it away? Yeah, I don't know anything about the NBA draft. I'm sorry, the NFL draft either, because I I don't really care about college sports. And as a result, uh, I'm not familiar with a lot of the players. But I was interested in uh, New Miami Dolphins offensive tackle uh, Laramie Tunsil, who <laughs> was projected to go third right after the two quarterbacks. Uh, is considered, you know, the best player on the board, especially by Mel Kiper and a lot of other people. And ten minutes before the draft, Murray, somebody uploaded a picture to Instagram that is supposedly him, but you can't tell for sure because it's, it's somebody in a gas mask. And the gas mask is attached to a bomb. And this person is, is hitting the bomb, hitting the gas mask bomb. And just that alone, essentially, was enough to drop this guy from, the, you know, the potential third pick in the draft to the 13th pick in the draft. Look, I don't worry. I know Foolish. that's an American. Yeah, I know Foolish. that's you know, an what, you know what goes with that? You know what goes with those 10 spots, Calvin? What's that? $10 million. 
kid lost out on yeah. ten million dollars because of this stuff. Now he he claimed he was hacked. He said that he was he was being blackmailed. And this was like the rare case where I believe the guy who said he was being hacked because there's nobody stupid enough to post a picture of themselves smoking out of a bong ten minutes before the NFL draft. We can we can disagree on that much, right? Like somebody. I mean, I would hope so. I would hope he didn't do that himself. It would be pretty foolish. Yeah. Somebody put that up to try to, to, to mess him up, and it worked. And I just think, look, man, are we, this is, are we still really here with weed? Like, we, the, the NFL's weed policy is ridiculous, like what they did to Josh Gordon, whatever. But, like, like are we really here that, that like, 10 teams are so afraid of taking this guy just because of, of one photo that comes out? minutes before the draft, and I know, like, apparently he took money from an agent, too, but nobody cares about that, and let's say that it's the bong thing. It's the bong thing, it's the fact that teams didn't know about it. Like, we are we not on the verge of, of like, marijuana being legal, completely legal in this country? Like, in a lot I'm of places, kidding. yeah, it's it's a good point, and, and the NFL, it sort of, they they stick to their, their guns, their old ways, the old boy attitude, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, it's just, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of guys suffer because of it, and it's really too bad. Um, because I mean, that's $10 million. And the rumor out there was that this guy uh, was his stepfather or something that leaked it, and his, he's the one that wanted the money. And that doesn't make any sense either, because if his stepfather's suing him for whatever reason, wouldn't he just want to have the, the most money that he could, you know? So why would he blow up his draft stock? Something else is going on here, something more sinister, if you ask me. So that's too really too bad. Yeah, it is unfortunate that it messed up his draft stock. I'm pretty mad that the Giants didn't draft him because he was on the board there at 10. <laughs> They're down for an offensive tackle, and this guy is going to be a dominant player. And nobody nobody's going to care about this weed thing. People, people are not even going to remember it, you know, uh, six months from now, when this guy's blowing up holes in the NFL. True, probably so, not. Yeah. All right, I can I can leave it at that. I know you. I can tell you, your momentum is completely gone. Ready, you're just dying to get to bed or to do whatever it is you're going to do next. So that's our show. That is our show, and I, you know what? My momentum dies when I start talking about the NFL. Especially, I don't know, something something hit me like 20 minutes ago. I just started to lose it, yep. Calvin. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, so I apologize for that. But I hope I hope you enjoyed your time with me tonight, sir, because I always enjoy that hour with you. I definitely enjoyed it. Wonderful. We heard from Mad Dog tonight. That was nice, too. Thank you for listening, everybody out there. Um, we'll try to get a show in on Tuesday, but no guarantees. And then after that, yeah. it's all up in the air. We're going we're gonna to play it by ear for a couple of weeks here. So uh, stay tuned. Yeah. And uh, thank you all for listening. What do you think? What do you say? Yeah. Good night, everybody. Oh, good night, everybody. That's all he says. Oh, oh I see. What? No, no. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we, we've been off schedule because a lot of the NBA playoffs, the Celtics playoff games, but we're going to try to get, once we're already settled in, we're going to try to get back to a more regular schedule. That's all. That's right. Yeah. You're damn right about that. All right. Now, the piano. And away we go. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.